The fact is, said Rabbit, we've missed our way somehow. They were having a small rest in a sandbox at the top of the forest. Pooh was getting rather tired of the sandbox and suspected it of following them about, because whichever direction they started in, they always ended up at it. And each time, as they came through the mist and said, Rabbit would say triumphantly, Now I know where we are. And Pooh said sadly, So do I. And Piglet said nothing. He had tried to think of something to say, but the only thing he could think of was, Help! Help! And it seemed silly to say that, well, when he had Pooh and Rabbit with him. Well, said Rabbit, after a long silence in which nobody thanked him for the nice walk they were having, We'd better get on, I suppose. Which, which way shall we try? How would it be, said Pooh slowly, if as soon as we were out of sight of this sandbox, we try to find it again? What good is that, said Rabbit. Well, said Pooh, we keep looking for home and not finding it. So I thought if we looked for the sandbox, we'd be sure not to find it, which would be a good thing, because then we might, something, we might find something that we weren't looking for which might be just well, what we're looking for, really. I don't see much sense in that, said Rabbit. No, said Pooh humbly, there isn't. But there was going to be when I started. It's just something happened on the way. Well, maybe you're like our friends from the Hundred Acre Woods. You've lost your way. Maybe you're like Piglet, knowing you're lost, and wanting to cry for help, but find it silly and embarrassing to ask for directions. On the other hand, maybe you're like Pooh. You're just shooting for something, hoping that you'll find your way. Well, friend, if that's you this morning, whichever you are, however you're searching, let me assure you that you will only find your way with Jesus. That Jesus provides the answer for your searching in his own identity. We've been considering over the last few months in Mark's gospel who Jesus is. And what it looks like to follow him. We've considered that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The one whom has come, the eternal son, fully God and fully man. Who came to die for sinners. We saw last week, or two weeks ago, Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ. And we've seen these 12 disciples fumble over again and again who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. And it's that second question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? That, that we've seen kind of here and there in the background, if you will, the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Jesus invites his own disciples early on in the Gospel of Mark to follow him. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Mark tells us that they dropped everything and follow Jesus. Following Jesus is, is really a synonym for a disciple. Uh, someone who is a disciple is someone who follows. And so naturally the words really are used interchangeably in the gospel. To be a disciple is most naturally to follow Jesus. So we wondered this morning, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. 
But what does it mean? What does it, what does it look like? What, what does that mean to follow Jesus? Does that just merely mean obey Jesus, do the things Jesus did? If you'll remember, perhaps, if you were in church in the 1990s, a, a, pata- a very popular uh, period happened, and one that I'm glad ended quickly, which was the, uh, what would Jesus do? You would wear the little bracelets, and you what would Jesus do? Is that what it means to follow Jesus? You ask the question and, and come up with your own answer of what would Jesus do in this particular context or this particular situation? Does it mean that you merely read your Bible or attend church or, or do Christian activities or Christian things? Is, is that what it means to follow Jesus? If someone's to ask you, for example, that tomorrow you're at work and, or you're at, you know, perhaps you're at home or your neighbor asks you or you're out in the community and you tell them that you're a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And they ask you, what does that mean? What does that look like? What do you do to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? How would you answer that question? Well, that's exactly what Mark does for us today. He answers the question in Jesus' words, what it looks like to follow him. I invite you to open your Bible this morning to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Mark chapter 8 and verse 44, verse 34, excuse me, on page 844 in your pew Bibles. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. I want us to consider this morning the cost of confessing Christ. The cost of confessing Christ. Peter has just made his grand confession that Jesus is the Christ. Feeling quite good about himself, he declares, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one whom the prophets foretold. You are the eternal Son of God who has come in flesh. You are here to save us and humanity. Jesus looks At him. And Peter says to Jesus that the suffering that you have come to do is not the way. If you remember last time, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, began to tell him what it meant to be the Christ. And Peter uh, was wrong. And, And Jesus clarified that the Christ has come to suffer, the Messiah has come to suffer. Clarified for us the kind of Savior Jesus was. He was a suffering Messiah, a suffering Savior. 
And now he clarifies for Peter what it looks like to follow him. But he doesn't just turn to Peter and the disciples. Notice first that he calls the crowd. Jesus calls the crowd. He he calls the, the masses to say, if you will follow me. A universal call to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What, is it, what does it look like? What does it cost one to confess Jesus as the Christ? And what Jesus does for us in this passage is paint for us a portrait of a disciple. And he does it on the canvas of eternity. He does it on the, the canvas of eternity. The, the eternal perspective of the human soul compared to this passing and fleeting world. What does it cost to follow Jesus? What we have in here is, if you will, Discipleship 101. This isn't for the elite Christian. So don't think this morning that, oh, Jesus is talking to just the apostles. Jesus is just talking to, you know, those super Christians, the ones that are they're real serious about their faith. No, no, no. This passage, and Jesus' words, are to all who call Upon Him for faith. This passage is meant to be heard by all who would repent of their sins and trust in Him. The call to following Christ is not a call to the elite or to the pastor or to the missionary. The call to follow in this particular way is the call that is upon every Christian today. What does it cost one who confesses Christ? Really just two points to hang our thoughts on this morning. First, confessing Christ means following Jesus to our crucifixion. I'll say that again. Confessing Christ means following Jesus to our crucifixion. Number two, confessing Christ means embracing the paradox of the cross. Confessing Christ means embracing the paradox of the cross, or to say it in another way, the stumbling block of the cross. It's embracing that you're going to be made fun of, and people are going to laugh at you. First, confessing Christ means following Jesus to our crucifixion. Verse 34, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, anyone who wants to be my disciple, anyone out there want to be my disciple, does it say raise your hand and pray prayers and walk aisles, does he? Look at the three things that he says. Three steps, if you will, to our crucifixion. Three steps to our crucifixion. First, Deny yourself. Self-denial. First, self-denial. Second, suffering. And thirdly, submission. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. And let him follow me. Is anyone out there in the crowd today, Jesus says, that wants to be my disciple, that wants to follow me, this is what it looks like. This is what you need to do. Deny yourself. Self-denial, suffering, and submission. First, self-denial. Let him deny himself. I think basically as we think about what this means, I think it's a picture of repentance. 
It's a picture of repentance. Uh, To deny oneself is to say that there's nothing in me that's of any value. Self-denial, Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny, Deny yourself of any value, of any worth. You can't save yourself, if you will. And I think most basically what Jesus is saying here is turn to me. Repent. Repent of your your way, of your life, of who you are. In essence, Jesus is saying to you today, you're not that great. You know, we all walk around with some really just wild ideas about ourselves. I mean, we do. We do. I find myself often, the way I'll describe myself, I'm just ridiculously narcissistic in thinking about myself and thinking that I'm all that great. Degrees and education and think about, you know, I know this, I know that, I can do this, I can do that. And we walk around that way. We, we talk about ourselves in some grand ways. Look, go to a family reunion and what you'll find there is a collection of narcissists who want to tell everyone else and their cousins how great they are. That's what it is. But Jesus is calling us to something greater and something better than ourselves. Christianity is so much, is so much better because what it is is a call to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus. Jesus is telling us today to be quitters. I know. Your coaches told you growing up not to be quitters, not to give up, to fight, to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get things done. But what Jesus is calling us to in this passage is to give up, to quit, stop fighting. We're out in the water drowning. We're fighting, fighting, grasping for air. And Jesus is on the shore screaming at us saying, quit. Give up. Deny that you can save yourself. And I will save you. If we will deny ourselves, then Jesus will be the hero of our story. And brothers and sisters, I want to remind you something. And I know we've heard some really good testimonies and personal testimonies in our life, but I want to tell you, there is only one hero in heaven, and that is Jesus. And we write our names into our own stories like we're the hero of everything. We're the hero of our family. We're the heroes of our church. We're the heroes of our community. But friends, we need to make Jesus the hero of our lives. And that is what he is calling us to in this passage. To deny ourselves. And to say that Jesus is my only hope. That I cannot save myself. There is nothing about me that is great and good. Sam Albury says, Deny your, denying yourself, excuse me, denying yourself is saying no to who you thought you were all your life and saying yes to Jesus instead. Denying yourself is saying no to who you thought you were all of your life and saying yes to Jesus instead. What a strong call this morning to lay ourselves aside and to say that we are nothing outside of Jesus. We are denying ourselves. The second step to our own crucifixion is suffering. Suffering. 
Jesus says, take up your cross. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now, we read that and we don't think much about that. And here's why. Because we wear crosses and we put crosses on our walls and we paint crosses and we just think light about crosses. But the cross was a means of execution. People didn't talk about it in polite society. You didn't talk about it. Just as if you don't talk about execution today, it's not something that you want to talk about. It's a politically polarized position to talk about execution think that you would execute another human being. But more than just maybe our own forms of execution here, which are quite humanitarian, if you will, if if there is such a thing in execution, the cross, the Roman cross, the Roman means of execution, many have said is one of the worst forms ever created, ever invented by wicked human beings. Where one literally suffocates to to death as they are hanging there. Jesus is telling his disciples to self-identify with the most heinous and gross means of human execution ever known to humanity. Self-identify with that. When you talk about what it means to follow Jesus, he says. When, it, when you talk about in your, 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 your dinner parties, as, as you call your friends and family and invite them into a relationship with me, I want you to tell them about the cross and about suffering and about pain and about sorrow. About your execution. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' call to take up a cross is, is a call not to put it down. When you pick up a cross, you don't put it back down. No Roman, excuse me, no Roman soldier who is executing someone by a cross would tell him to put it down. Like it's okay, where there's a stay of execution on your life. No, once you picked up that cross, you would be killed by that cross. It was a guarantee of your own death. And what Jesus is saying is is that I'm inviting you to die to yourself. A call to following Christ is 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 following Jesus to our own crucifixion. To our own death. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to follow me, you must die. If you want to follow after me, you must die. And I want you to see here in this passage is that the identity of a Christian is the identity of Jesus. Jesus is doing these things. Jesus is denying himself. Jesus is taking up a cross to die upon. Jesus is following his father. He's a follower. And what Jesus is inviting us to this morning is to be identified with him. Who you are is not who you are. This isn't isn't some sort of self-identification. This isn't you like, hey, this is me, my own personality. Oh, this is just how I am. And, and, well, you know, Jesus loves me because of who I am. No, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you are going to die. And I will replace you. You will be remade into me, into my image. The things I'm doing, you're going to do. And so Jesus calls us to suffer. Now many have thought that this is, 
you know, perhaps little crosses. Perhaps people have, you've heard people talk about this passage in a way in which they say, you know, we all have crosses we have to bear, carry. Perhaps a cross of suffering, um, a cross of uh, pain and trials in this life. And that's true in, in the sense that God calls us to suffer. And a call to follow Christ is a call to suffer. It's not a bed of roses to follow Jesus. But I think particularly what this focus is, is the call to suffer for the name of Jesus. Look at verse 35. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, notice here, for my sake and the gospels will save it. So the context here is not just suffering generally, but suffering for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And, you know, when we live in a world which is pretty much just like, nah, you know, we, we're okay with you Christians just to chill here. And, or when we live in a world where we kind of sadly believe that this is a Christian nation, uh, we get confused. And we get confused when we begin to get persecuted and suffer. But, friends, that's what Christians for 2,000 years have experienced. It's what they've known. They've not known anything but suffering. And that's not to, to, to deny or to not celebrate the beautiful freedoms that we have in living in America. We want, we want to continue to, to enjoy that and, and, and use it for the sake of the gospel and to spread of the gospel. But don't be confused into thinking that suffering is somehow not part of the Christian life. To suffer is to be a Christian. And to be a Christian is to suffer. Jesus says, take up your cross. And thirdly, the step to our crucifixion is in submission. He says, follow me. To follow means you actually follow. And I know for some Christians this morning, that's a difficult concept. To actually follow Jesus means that you follow him. That you obey him. That you do what he does. Or what he invites you and calls you to do. Brothers and sisters, we would not think that our dog is well-trained if it does not obey our voice. We would not say that our dog is a follower of our leadership if it did not obey our calls and commands. And friend, if you claim to be a Christian this morning and you have not yet followed Jesus in obedience, I don't know what you mean when you say you're a Christian. Because Jesus clearly identifies that those who are Christians are those who obey. Those who actually uh, uh, follow Christ are those who submit themselves to Christ. And the submission, I think most clearly here, is a submission to die. Paul tells us in First Corinthians, excuse me, in Second Corinthians and verse 14, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, he says this. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And I love this. Paul is picturing here a parade. A parade. He says, Jesus is leading us and we're following and Oh, we're, we think, at least, that we're singing good songs, and it's all a happy thing, and it's all of, oh, it's beautiful and wonderful, and it's amazing. But the picture that Paul is painting in 2 Corinthians, and what Jesus is painting here for us here, is that we are on the death march. We are on the parade to our own deaths. 
For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death unto death, and to the other, a fragrance of life unto life. Paul says, you smell like death to some. But to those who are being saved, it is a fragrance of life unto life. Following Jesus means you die. You die to your will and your ambitions and you lay them at the cross and you say, I will go where you tell me to go. My life is not my own. It is yours. It has been bought with a price. To follow Jesus, to confess Christ, means that you follow Him to your own crucifixion. To your own death. Secondly, Confessing Christ means embracing the paradox of the cross. Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. A call to confess Christ means we embrace this great paradox of the cross. The stumbling block of the cross is that paradox. Jesus says in verse 35, whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life will save it. Jesus, what do you mean by this? I don't understand, Jesus. If I try to save my life, I'm going to die. But if I try, if I lose my life, I just give up and quit. You mean I'm going to be saved? You mean that I'll actually be saved? What Jesus is speaking here to is the exclusivity of Christ for life. That is, that only through Christ. Can one receive life? Only through the gospel can you be saved. Uh, It's exclusive. There's no other way. There's not these multiple roads to heaven. The multiple ways you get to to God. No. There's exclusively only one way. It's Jesus. And Jesus says that keepers are losers and losers are the ultimate keepers. And that's completely upside down from the world we live in. No, the world we live in tells us that losers are those who quit and give up. But the fighters, they're the keepers. They're the ones, those keepers, those ones that have, the ones that that gain the most, they're the ones that win. Jesus says no. No, that's not the case. Jesus says no, the keepers are, are the losers. Maybe you're a keeper today. Maybe you're here today and you are a keeper. You keep everything. You amass for yourself everything for your own glory. And I don't mean merely possessions. Are you a keeper this morning? Jesus says that if you will try to save your own life, you are guaranteed to lose it. This is a promise. If you try to save your life, you will lose it, Jesus says. 
But if you will give your life to Him, He will save you. It's a promise that your life will be saved. And friends, this is a stumbling block to many. To those that are self-ambitious, who think that they can earn their way to God, Paul tells us, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. But we, cre- we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Oh friend, I want to tell you this morning, I know that it's silly what we're talking about today. I know that it seems silly to you that we trust in a man that we believe to be the eternal Son of God who came and died for our sins. I know that it may seem silly to you to that. But Jesus gives us a word of promise here that if you are here this morning and you think that by your good works and by maybe some mere obedience to to commands or, or just being a good person, a good human, that somehow God will accept you. And that is a lie. Jesus is the only way. And Christian, this morning, I want to remind you of that. I want you to be convinced of that. Because if you are here this morning, and you are despairing over God's love, you you think, you know, God's not really very impressed with me this week. He doesn't love me this week. The, The reason you think that is because you think that your personal performance is how you gained access to God to begin with. You believe that your personal obedience is how you have a relationship with God. No, I want to remind you that Christ is the only way. And that we must give it up for Him. The second stumbling block is the extravagant price of our redemption. Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? We see the eternal value of the human soul in this passage. We see that a man's life is valuable, as we heard in Psalm 49. But that there is nothing that we can do, no amount of wealth that we can acquire, or possessions owned, or education have, or positions held, that will somehow earn us place with God. We can't. There's nothing. Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Let's think for a minute. If you had the opportunity to own the whole world, what would you buy? What would you buy? Jesus says, if you owned everything, if you owned everything, there is nothing that you could buy. That's a greater value than your own soul. Brothers and sisters, we know many who are in this vicious trap. Thinking that the greater possessions of this world will somehow earn them favor with God. And it is a tragedy to think how often as Christians we give ourselves to this world And to amassing things in this world. And I just want to say something here that might be slightly offensive, and I don't really care, but it's Father's Day, and I think of the masses of fathers.
who lead, and, and Christian fathers, who lead their children to sacrifice themselves on the altar of this world. Meaning, they sacrifice their children's soul for the sake of better education. They sacrifice their children's soul on the altar of better at sports. They, they run them around town to every sporting event and every, every activity, thinking that through that they're going to somehow be successful. Oh, friend, let me tell you and remind you that your child's soul is more valuable than whether or not they can hit a fastball or kick a soccer ball or go to college. What matters more to your child's soul is whether they will spend eternity with God or apart from God in hell. And as Christians, we must hold to the, to the value of the human soul. Recently, I know many of you have thought about this and have your own opinions about this thing, but I don't really here to talk about opinions on this. I know in a congregation even our size, there's differing opinions on this crazy gorilla, on what if this gorilla should have died or not died, and so on and so forth. But one of the things that was fascinating during this time of whether or not that gorilla should have been shot at the Cincinnati Zoo or not is, is there was a headline in the Washington Post that struck me by surprise. It's just really just like, I forgot what world I lived in. It was just a reminder of the world I live in. And uh, the, the headline read, Killing a Gorilla is Worse Than Murder. And I thought about that for a second. And I thought, okay, yeah, I can see what worldview you're coming from here. I can see the worldview that you're coming from where a gorilla is of greater value than a human life. Well, that's none other than a Darwinian understanding of the world, is it? Darwinian evolution teaches that, well, we have evolved from gorillas, from apes and so on and so forth. And so, of course, gorillas would be of equal, if not greater, value than the human soul. But what Jesus says here is no. The human soul is of great value. Eternally. Eternal value. Human life is greater than this world. And where we spend eternity matters. It is real. And so we see thirdly, there is this expectation of Christ's eternal reign. An expectation that Christ is going to come and reign. Look what he says in verse 38. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. Jesus says, he warns, there is an expectation of my return. And when I come again, I'm not coming as your friend, but as your judge. I am coming, and those who are ashamed of me, who those who that who cannot overcome the stumbling block of the cross, will be eternally condemned. And so to the Christian, to follow Jesus is a call to follow the paradox of the cross, to see that there is an ex expectation of Christ's eternal reign. That means that if you will confess Christ and you will call upon His name and you will repent of your life and give it to Him and trust Him in faith, you will reign with Him also. 
And that's why he says there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. What does Jesus mean by that? Many have offered opinion on that. Some are unsettled at what it means. Perhaps two, I think, best answers to what Jesus means in chapter 9 and verse 1 is an already and not yet. That is, that Jesus' kingdom has already been revealed. Right? We've talked about that. It was revealed in the coming of the king. The kingdom of God is at hand, he says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Well, Jesus, what do you mean the kingdom of God? Well, the king is here. Therefore, my kingdom is here. So, already. But we recognize that Jesus' kingdom has not already come to pass. He's not on the throne of every kingdom of this world. We look out and we see there are kings that reign in this world. So we recognize it's not yet. It's not yet happened. Jesus has not yet consummated all things. Or, secondly, what this may mean, I think, I think it means this as well, is Jesus' transfiguration. What we're going to consider next week in the Gospel of Mark, in that Jesus is going to reveal His glory to Peter, James, and John. He's going to show them His power and His glory and His majesty before them. He's going to show them the kind of king He is. A glorious king who reigns over the kingdoms of this world. But what does this mean to us here today? It means that if we endure, if we will follow Christ, if we will deny ourselves, if we will take up our crosses, and if we will endure and follow Christ, then we too will be victorious. We too will reign with Christ. I think J.C. Ryle captures this clearly when he writes, if we will not carry the cross, we shall never wear the crown. If we are not willing to follow Christ to our own crucifixion, we have no hope of wearing a crown. If we do not endure suffering for the sake of Christ, we will not receive the glory of His kingdom. And my question for you today, will you follow Him Will you follow Him to your own death that He might be your life? Will you die with Him that He might raise you to new life? During World War II, German by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer in the midst of the country under the reign of Hitler the Nazis, who was ultimately hanged by the Nazis because of his teaching and his belief, wrote these words. The cross is laid on every Christian. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If you're a Christian this morning, or if you want to follow Christ, he bids you come and die. Let's pray.
Father, we give you glory today. Christ, we exalt you today. We are in awe of our own sin. You would call rebels into a relationship with you. Father, our plea is that your spirit would come and give us the faith to do what you've called us to here. We recognize our own sin is so great that we want to promote ourselves. We want to go our own way. That's how we've been living in rebellion against you. And so we ask that your spirit would equip us and and strengthen us and show us the way. Help us to deny ourselves. Help us to suffer for the sake of Christ. Help us to submit to you and your word. And let us embrace the glory of the cross. We give you the praise and the glory for all that you do in our lives. We pray this for your glory and our eternal good. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, we have a 